I, I'm getting really excited to uh, to do my grouper fishing again. I've got new GPS and I'm I'm ready to go with some some new. Fi- so I thought about this this week. Um, the farthest I've been out in the Gulf of Mexico is 92 miles. I've been out 92 miles with Phil Huff, and we caught fish as big as Hulk Hogan. Okay, maybe not that big, but um, that that doesn't bother me. Getting in the boat. How many of you do not get seasick? Do not get seasick. How many of you do get seasick? Because that would bother you, 92 miles. Um, that, that doesn't bother me. But I'll tell you what, what does bother me. Whenever I read a sea voyage story, that bothers me. Because whenever you read about some grand sea voyage story, whether it's the Pilgrims or Shackleton or Magellan or Marco Polo or Christopher Columbus, when you read one of those stories... You know there is danger. You know there's wind, waves. You know there's all kinds of things that create problems. You know there's trouble on the horizon. I mean, think about the pilgrims. 102 people were in the Mayflower for 66 days. Now, they started off with the speedwell, but the speedwell's leaking, and everybody had to get on top of the Mayflower. Now, can you imagine that? Two people died, one baby was born in that 66-day journey. And you read those stories and you're going, my goodness, that's a dangerous journey. What about the guy named Shackleton? How many of you ever read stories about Shackleton? Very interesting man. He had a boat called the Endurance, but it didn't endure because he's always like exploring one of the poles. And he gets in the South Pole and the ice freezes and his boat, the Endurance, did not endure. The Endurance just busts up like, like a tinderbox, like, like matchsticks. And so you read these stories and they got stuck for several years. He has to leave a crew and he has to go back and get them. And they all, they survive somehow. But you read about these stories and you go, wow, amazing challenges, amazing challenges to these stories. However, if they live to tell the story, their discoveries were out of this world. Gold, treasures, a new trade route. A new country, new colonies, if they lived to tell the story, history would forever remember those amazing sea voyages. Now, every one of us in this room, we have seas to cross. And every one of us in this room live in some dangerous waters. Your sea to cross is different maybe than the person next to you, but everybody in the room, whether you have a lot of faith or you don't have much faith at all, Whether you've been to church 10,000 times or today is your first day in about 10 years. We all have this in common. We all have dangerous seas to cross. Now your sea might be diabetes. Your sea might be a parent that's got dementia. Your sea might be a wayward child that you really don't know what to do with. Your sea could be faith. I just don't have the faith, or I've lost my faith, or I, I don't know if I can ever regain my faith. Your seat across might be food. Your seat across might be bitterness. Your seat across might be, I'm not going to forgive her. I'm not going to forgive her no matter what. Nope. Your seat across may be different. It is different. But everybody in the room, we all have seas to cross. And so Moses today... Is going to lead a couple million people to the Red Sea. And Moses is going to have to lead all these people to cross the Red Sea. But before the big Mo can cross the Red Sea, 
He has his own seas he has to cross. And Moses at age 80 is out there in the bushes burning and it won't burn up. And God's trying to get him involved. And Moses is going, I'm not going to do it. Ask somebody else. I can't speak. I failed. I made these mistakes. God, I don't think I'm the right person. Now, can you imagine telling God you picked the wrong person? But he did. He's telling God that. And so he's got a seat across. He felt like a failure. He had incredible insecurities. Moses has seas to cross before he can cross the Red Sea. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to spend the first part of the sermon really about application. I think you know the story about the Red Sea. How many of you have read the story? You've seen the story on TV. You've gone to the movies, right? Anybody in the room never heard of this story? Yeah, we're all together on that. Okay, good. So we're going to pick up the story kind of in the middle of the story. Exodus chapter 14, we're going to start with verse 5. So if you've got a Bible or phone, an app, whatever, let's start with Exodus chapter 14, and we'll start with verse 5. Here we go. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with the officers over all of them. Now, they're going into great detail because they want you to know all the big dogs were there. These weren't the grunts. These were the big officers. Everybody's there going after the Israelites. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Now, right now, they don't have a seat across. Right now, things are good. They're marching out boldly. And the Lord hardened their heart. All right, look at the next verse. The Egyptians and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, they pursued the Israelites and they overtook them as they camped by the sea. Now, I want to show you this next slide is a map. And this was a 40-year experience. They went to 17 different places. And so you'll see this, the Israelites' journey. They start off there. See how they're numbered? There's number one, number two, number three, number four. It goes all the way up to number 17. Do you see that at the top? That was a question. Okay, you, you see that? Good. You see that? All right. So there's number 17. All That's the Jordan River all the way up there. So right now we're, we're starting the journey and we're about number two and we're about number three. And uh, he's getting ready for them to have to cross the Red Sea. So I want to now show you the next nine verses. And then we're going to stop and do application. So we're going to read the next nine verses. And then we're going to come back to these nine verses and, and kind of dive into them. So here they are. Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were filled with faith. Oh, sorry. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? No wonder you didn't want to be their leader, right? No wonder. I mean, who would want to lead these people? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? By the way, they never said that. Didn't we say, let us serve the Egyptians? By the way, they never said that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. That could be true. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. 
Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. I love this verse. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And he says this. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I love that. Big boy, get up and go, okay? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide the water. You've got to see the cross. So the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and all of his horsemen. All right, you got a seat across. I don't know what your seat across is, but everybody in the room has at least one, probably six or seven, seven or eight. You all have seats to cross. And if you made a list of those right now, we could probably tally about 150 different challenges that we all face. Everyone has a seat across. But what I want to do is I want to talk about seven steps to crossing a sea. Because there are some very unhealthy ways to deal with your sea. And there are some very incredibly healthy ways to do that. So if you've got a bulletin, take your bulletin out. If you're a note taker, you like notes, you can, we're going to write in seven different steps for you on how to navigate through the sea that you have to cross. Here's number one. Number one is this. Recognize that a Pharaoh is always approaching. You will never live in a day and age where there are not a, there's not a Pharaoh in your life. You will never be able to live with pain avoidance. You will never have enough money. You will never have enough security. You will never have enough whatever. You will never be able to avoid whatever. You will never live in a day where there is not a Pharaoh. There will be a Pharaoh all the days of your life. The Bible is really clear about this. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Jesus says in this world you will have trouble, you will have trials, and you will have tribulation. Now that doesn't mean that we, you know, sink our ships. It doesn't mean that we don't take care of our leaky vessels. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you've got to recognize that in this world there are problems. Some people don't recognize that. Some people want to live their life as if this is a life that's just peace and harmony and, and, you know, all things are good. It's not. Number two, I like what Moses does. Speak life and speak truth. You have a choice every day to speak life or to speak death. You have a choice every day to speak life and blessings or to speak death and curses. And so what Moses does in this case, remember how passive Moses is? And most of the time, Moses is quiet. In fact, remember, Moses said, I don't speak well. And Moses said, hey, you know, I don't do this. And God said, okay, I'll get your brother Aaron to speak for you. Here's the case where Moses speaks. He cannot be silent. He has to say something. Now, you and I are put in positions where we get to help other people cross their seas. And there is a time when you and I need to be able to speak truth and speak life into other people. Now, we're not trying to give them all the answers. We're not trying to tell people what to do. We're just speaking life. 
And so when somebody says to you, you know what, I'm, I'm disqualified from Christian service because I did such and such and such, you say, no, no, that's not true. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you of all of, of your sins. Well, you know, I, I just feel so insecure all the time. Well, well, that may be how you feel. But let's talk about what scripture, scripture says. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. Look at what there are times when you and I have to help other people cross their seas. And we have the wonderful opportunity to speak life into them. Moses is quiet. He's pretty darn passive. And yet Moses is speaking life and speaking truth to all the people. That's helping people. Number three, he tells them to have courage. Now, courage doesn't mean that you live a life without fear. You can still have some fear, but be courageous. And so courage is, even if you're scared to death to cross the sea, even if you're scared to death to do the right thing, courage is doing the right thing, even when you are afraid, even when you are scared. He says, do not be afraid. Look at number four. Number four, going once. Number three, number four, number five. There we go, number four. Uh, Stand firm. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance. Now, I like this because standing firm means I know things around me don't look good, but I'm in God's ship. I am in the ship with God, and I'm going to stand with him, and I will stand firm. Number five, the Lord will fight for you. And Moses says this, and God says this, the Lord is going to be fighting for you. Do do you realize that every single day you have a heavenly father who has your best interests in mind? And you have a heavenly father that even though you have these seas to cross and those are rough waters, they're they're dangerous waters, that your heavenly father is fighting for you. I think that's pretty cool to know that God's God's with me and God's fighting for me. Number six, it says this. It says to be still. Now, what does this mean to be still? Because in just a minute, he's going to tell them to move on. But I want to talk about be still for just a second. There's there's things that you and I have to do while we are um, crossing our seas. But to be still is kind of like on a highway. Imagine you go out a highway with five different lanes. And if you're not careful, you can oversteer, right? And so a person that oversteers or overcorrects, they're in the third lane, they're in the fifth lane, they're in the first lane, they're in the fourth lane. They're, all, they're constantly just, just shifting lanes, you know, going back and forth. I think what this means is stay in your lane, Stay in the lane that God's called you to stay in. Stay with the process. Stay with the procedure. Stay with how God's calling you. And God will see you through. Just be still doesn't mean to do nothing. It means that you're going to have to drive, but stay in your lane. Don't be shifting all over the place. Because here's number seven. He says this in number seven. He says, move forward. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. In other words, you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep going, but you stay in your lane. I want to put all 70s back on the board right now on the screen. I want you to do two things. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to figure out of these seven, which one of these do you do well? What's your top pick? 
Because in just a minute, we're going to stand up. I'm going to to pray for everybody. So this is the first assignment. Number one, which of these seven do you do well? And feel good about this. I recognize problems are coming. I don't speak death to people. I speak, I speak life. Even when I'm scared, I still go forward. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to, I know God's going to fight for me. I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm going to go forward with life. Which of those are you really good at? Okay. How many of you number one? Number one, you recognize that? You're pretty good at that? Okay. Number two, how many of you speak life and truth? All right, that's really good. All right. Now, here's the second part of the assignment. Which is your weakest one? Which of these seven do you need a little work? Which of these seven do you need to work on? And I'm going to have you pick one. And when you pick one, I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to pray for you. So if you would right now, pick your weakest one, the one that you need to move forward the greatest and the best. And when everybody stands up, I will pray for us. And if you're new to church and you don't know what to do, now's the time to stand up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's pray. Oh, God. We all have seas to cross in this room. We all have larger than life issues and opportunities and challenges. Maybe health. Maybe marriage. Maybe somebody wants to get married. Maybe somebody feels stuck in a marriage. Maybe somebody is single and they don't, and they don't want to be. Maybe someone's recently a widow or widower. Maybe there's some great high school and college and young adult challenges. Almighty God, I come to you and we come to you. And we lay this down before you and say, raise us up. We lay down, we acknowledge this weakness to you. And we ask you to shore us up. We ask you to make us strong and make us effective and make us steadfast. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, be seated. And now I'm going to switch gears and talk about um, romantic relationships for a few minutes because it's Valentine's Day. And I want to talk about this because there are so many C's of dangerous waters that we get into romantically. God gave us romance. Romance was God's idea. But it can go south and the ship can leak and we can sink and we can drown. And it can be a hurricane pretty quickly, can't it? So for just a couple minutes, I want to talk about some very unhealthy romantic relationships and directions. And, and let's avoid some of these seas. Let's not get in these turbulent waters. Let's not get in some of these boats. So here's the first one. The first one is really about wrong relationships. And what does a wrong relationship look like? Well, you will know if you're in a wrong relationship, if you feel or experience any of these four components on the screen. If you're in confusion about a relationship, it's a wrong relationship. If you're in misery, it's a wrong relationship. If you're tormented, if your stomach's all the time churning because things aren't going the right way or progressing forward, you're in a wrong relationship. And probably, most likely then, this would be disobedience to your Heavenly Father. 
Let's ratchet that up a little bit and talk about abusive relationships. What does an abusive relationship look like? Well, an abusive relationship, there are several different factors. Maybe fits of rage within the relationship. Maybe someone's violent with you. Maybe they're irrationally jealous. There's a history of abuse. Um, causes fear of like ending the relationship. Hey, if you don't stay with me, I'm going to jump off the Skyway Bridge. I mean, something like that can take place in an abusive relationship. You, you see, they control you and they control your whereabouts. Uncontrolled temper, highly possessive of you. If you're in an, an abusive relationship, if you can identify with one or more of those things on the board, on the screen, it's time for you to get out. That's a sea that you need to cross. And you need to be square and smack dab in the center of your Heavenly Father's will. You see, Satan will craft special messages to you and to me to get us where we're weak and where we're vulnerable and so that we will really get in those dangerous waters and and all that's so unhealthy. And I want to give you six examples of this right now. These are six different sentences that that apply to the most unhealthy relationships. And these are are seas, these are waters you don't want to go into. Satan will whisper this to you. This new relationship will save you from loneliness and bring you the safety and security you long for. He tells the married man or the married woman. He's proven to love you like no one else. It's okay to sleep with him. He whispers to the teenage girl. Discover the possibilities, he shouts to the college student. Tempted to have a one-night stand. I guarantee you will be happier than ever. He seductively convinces the unhappy man considering divorce. This affair won't affect your health. He tells the lady caught up in the excitement of being noticed by a married man. You can trust your feelings, he says, to the depressed housewife on the verge of leaving. You see, we have an enemy who comes to seek, kill, and to destroy. And this is the first part of John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, we got a thief. And he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And so what Satan comes to do is he comes to devalue you. He comes to make you feel dirty and make you feel ashamed. And it's a trap. It's such a trap. But God has come to give you life. But God has come to rescue you. But God has come to restore you. But God has come to redeem you. The psalmist even foreshadowed the Messiah. Look at Psalm chapter 34. The psalmist says this. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and He delivers them from all their troubles. That's their seas. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 107 says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and He broke away their chains. I love John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10 talks about the thief comes only to kill, steal, and to destroy. See, who would have thought? Who would have thought that one kiss with the wrong person 
would lead to a divorce from a 20-year marriage, isolation from teenage children, and that you would lose your family, your job, your home, and even your peace of mind. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that one kiss with the wrong person would lead to such utter disaster and misery? But I have come, says Jesus, that you would have life. And I've come to give you life abundantly. You got a seat across. There will always be a Pharaoh. But I'm going to fight with you and I will fight for you. And God will forever be the warrior who's fighting for you and for your life. And so what, what do we do then? Well, I think there's, again, if you're a note taker, I've got four suggestions in your bulletin. The first one is this. When and if we make some of these mistakes, when and if we go off the rails, when and if we bore a hole in the hull of our own ships and let the water just rush in, what do we do? We, we confess. God, this isn't in your plan. God, this isn't in your book. God, I just colored outside the lines. I just took fruit off a tree that didn't belong to me. God, I made a huge mistake. You confess. You confess your sin. Number two, you renounce the sin. Now, what's the difference between confess and renounce? Well, confess is I speak it, but renounce is I stick a flag in the ground. Renouncing this sin is saying this is wrong. I'm not going to do it. This is not going to become a part of my life. I choose to live a righteous life. Renouncing is, I'm on the Lord's side. Number three, number three is I have to learn to forgive myself. Now, I think this is the hardest one. Do you? Huh? Must have a little cold air in your brains this morning. I don't know. We've got to get the diesels going here. Um, of the three, do you think that's the hardest I mean, it's not real hard to confess the sin, is it? It's not real hard to stick a flag on the ground. But for you to actually walk then in victory that you've, you've been forgiven and, and you're going to walk in, I think that's the hardest of, of, of these three. And number four is, is you basically, you receive it. You receive God's love. You receive God's love for you. You see, when you had that abortion, God still loved you. When you stepped out of church for a while, God still loved you. When you didn't keep the promises that you made, he still loved you. When you said you were going to do something, but you didn't, he still loved you. God never, never stopped loving you. And so God's love is the cure for every wound in your life. Okay? His love is the cure for every wound in your life. And his, his book, his Bible, his scriptures, this is the map on how to do a romantic love. This is the map on all of our friendships. This is the map on how to be single. This is the map on how to be married. This is the map on how to be a widower. This is a map with everything in your life. This is the map. And this map will help you cross these seas, and you will cross them extremely, extremely well. Well, I love how this story ends today in Exodus. It's a great story. And the Israelites are getting ready to cross, and they're, they're crossing now this Red Sea Maybe two, two and a half million people. We're not really sure how many people, but it's a massive amount of people. And what I love is Exodus chapter 14, verse 19 says there's an angel. Look at this. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, 
withdrew and went behind them, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front of them and it stood behind them. Now, I love this story because all of a sudden we've got now God's angel who's been leading the parade. God's angel now goes behind the Israelites and he is blocking the Israelites from the Egyptians. And there's also a cloud. There's a pillar of cloud. And now the cloud and the angel are saying, Israelites, go. There's a wall of water. Go through on dry ground. And the angel of God now is in the rear guard. And he's got their back covered. And Moses and Miriam, the sister, brother and sister, they write this song. They sing this amazing song in Exodus chapter 15. Listen to this. I want you to read these three verses with me out loud. Here we go. Ready? Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. One more slide. Here we go. Ready? He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Now, that last sentence there is a different Hebrew name for God, meaning Jehovah Sabbath. Say that with me. Jehovah Sabbath. One more time. Jehovah Sabbath. And this is a Hebrew name that says, I will fight for you. I am your God, and you are my people, and I will always fight for you. Now, I don't know what sea you have to cross, but I know you have a Heavenly Father who is fighting for you, and he's fighting with you. Yahweh is his name. The Lord is a warrior. I love that. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Please stand and join us for worship.
your seat across this entire message this morning your human spirit and God's Holy Spirit have been revealing to you your exact next move you know you know exactly what your seat across is and we've talked about this this morning we have a heavenly father who is fighting for you and fighting with you it's a great challenge there's dangers in crossing your seat but if you can live to tell your story, you will never be the same because he will move you. He will move you from insecurity to security. He will move you from shame to glory. He will move you from fear to success. He will move you from apathy to amazing love. You have a father who is crazy about you. His name is Jehovah Sabbath. And He is fighting for you. And He is fighting with you. And the Spirit of God is calling you. Calling you to go onto the waters. And for you to go on dry ground. Have faith. Put your faith in Him today.